Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And I'm delighted to have Chigan Roshi, the monk formerly known as Dokoro Osho, give the talk and lead the discussion today. Welcome, Chigan Roshi. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the year 2021. Today is January 10th, and we are 10 days into this. The sunshine is bright today here where I live. The air is cold and clear. And I remember that my ordination teacher, Joshua Roshi, always preferred to have Zen training happen in the cold rather than the heat. The clarity, even when we get cold, what does our body do? It gets very active at first. We start to shiver. In the heat, we just, we melt in a different way. So you might ask yourself, why is he speaking about the weather and the sunshine after we had these 10 horrible days already? Every 21.4 seconds, somebody on average succumbs to COVID-19. So in our 30 minute of meditation, 90 human beings passed away. How can he talk about that in this time of the pandemic? Not just one, but multiple. It's not just a virus. We also see a societal sickness and illness that has manifested itself in an attack with violence resulting in physical harm, not only to buildings, but death to human beings. This is so terrible and it is. It is horrible. I wish there were somebody or something that could help us with that. So hold on. Well, there was this guy, this man by the name of Siddhartha, who saw exactly something like this many thousand years ago, who awoke under the tree, who wrestled with himself of many weeks, many months, not being able to speak about it, but then being called to express what his awakening led him to see. The Four Noble Truths. So think about these 10 days and the first noble truth, idam dukkam, this is suffering. 
This is pain. This is unsatisfactory. Let us also think of the second noble truth. This is the origin of this suffering. The third, yes, there is cessation to it. And the fourth, the path that leads to the cessation of this pain, of this suffering, of this being incomplete and unsatisfactory. These are the noble truths as they come out of the expression of Gautama Buddha. And here we as practitioners of Zen that sprung forth through the roots of Buddhism and as modern human beings living in a democratic society within a republic in the 21st century, we have to look at these and I would like to look at those four noble truths today through the lens of us as practitioners, which we will come to understand through this practice are inherently social beings and connected to everything. And therefore, whatever we do, we are inherently also political beings. So let me speak. I was inspired by this by reading something written by Ken Jones, who was a, a British uh, Buddhist who passed away in 2015. And here's the idea of the four political noble truths. The first one, well, individual suffering and delusion. We all know it. We all suffer from it in our own so perceived lives. When you look at society, what is society? In the connectedness of human beings, it is just a space in which these individual sufferings and delusions magnify, not only in a flat curve, but like a square or two times two is four, and then you have three, then you have eight. It multiplies incredibly fast. And these individual feelings of suffering and delusion are magnified into this society. They are kind of supercharged and become a dynamic of their own, leaving the individuals behind, not being aware that it is themselves who are the root for this process of magnification. Society consists out of human beings. And whatever these human beings manifest in their own existence 
is able to be magnified and will magnify if there is this connection and the relationship with each other. And it is our choice. We have a difference to make here to replace that delusion with something that is more benevolent. So that's the first individual suffering and delusion political truth. And the second one comes right out of it. And it becomes very clear once you have done a good amount of Zazen. And it is true. You see very clearly that the forces that drive history and politics are exactly the same forces that work within us as individuals. We feel lack. I am incomplete. We feel impermanence. And we long for something that is stable. We inherently know and suffer at times from the realization that our self is insubstantial. Hence our tendency to hold on to something that we could call ideology. Identification. The I am self. or even religion. Let me tell you a quick story here from my time as a monk in Europe in the early 90s in Austria. Genro Seon Daiosho and myself as his attendant monk went to the Black Forest to lead a Zen retreat. He was leading it. I was doing the work, setting up everything. And we had found this wonderful center in the Black Forest, an old, completely renovated farmhouse, beautifully appointed, outside, white stucco with the hand-painted native motifs. In this case, but it wasn't the Madonna, it was the Buddha outside. We arrived and it was the residence also of the teacher who was a teacher from uh, the Theravada tradition, a German individual who had spent a lot of time in the Far East. The meditation room was on the top floor. We settled in with our 30 participants. They went to the beautiful rooms and Genro also and myself went up and there was the room set up. We started putting out the cushions. And at some point Genro said to me, oh, look there at the, this Putsudan. There's so much stuff on there. Let's take some off. Uh, I want to put the tea down so we can make the offerings and so on. So I went and I respectfully took some of the things and put them in a box that was there and, and put them away. An hour later, pandemonium took place. They touched the relics. They removed the relics from the altar. Somebody touched them. They are not allowed to go into the meditation room anymore. A student of the teacher was posted in front of the door, 
physically restricting us from going in. It, it almost came to a physical altercation. For two hours, Genro Osho had to talk to that Theravada person and negotiate that we still could go through with the session. And we were able to go through with it. The relics were purified from our defilements and put far away from us heretical Zen practitioners for the whole week. But one of the stipulations that the teacher put on us was that they would have to sit in the room during the talks. So Gendro Osho was giving a talk every day and in the back sat the teacher. And whatever Genro said, uh, a loud sigh throughout the entire talk. Now, why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you the story because we Buddhists who know about the Four Noble Truths and these wonderful teachings, we are not exempt from ideologies from fixated beliefs, from this kind of self-made delusion that we are right, this is holy and this is defiled. We are not exempt of it. That second political noble truth is true for us as for each and every human being. Now, if you put everybody together, the social societal delusion is manifest and we can all attest to it. Number three, there is a way out of this societal suffering. We have the resources in this modern world to feed each and every individual in this world. And the question is, why haven't we done it? Number four, we must cut the roots of what enables this. And it is nothing but the three animals in the center of the wheel of Dharma that turns and turns and turns in samsara. Greed, anger, and delusion. That's why we have the Eightfold Path. That's why we have the teaching of the six paramitas. How do we do it in society? Let's look a little bit at that system that we have here. Capitalism. Capitalism as some or few against others. Even capitalism in itself is incomplete. Companies work allegedly 
for the benefit of their shareholders. That is what they do. Capitalism distributes what is taken in to the few who are shareholders. It's not a bad model if you would not have it be incomplete. If government took everybody, every individual in the country, if any kind of government would take everybody in this world as a shareholder, then that would be a noble cause for governing the interest of everybody, not just some against the others. But also, let's not be deluded. Let's see clearly here. Let's examine how our own internal system of the human mind works. You sit Zazen, and at times you will hear your own internal propaganda going forth and forth. You might hear Tucker Carlson. You might hear your own Rachel Maddow. No matter what side you are on, the propaganda will come. And our nature will help us to just stick with that, that unconditionally affirms what we believe in already. In society, let's look at that in a different way. Media, what is the business of media? It's a business. News media is in the business of counting people, consuming what they provide. And in extreme cases, what is being provided turns into something that is far away from facts. Business is to have ratings. That's the news business, one media type. And there's social media. And social media clearly fits into the business type of that. It's not an information provider. Social media is in the business of providing affirmation. Affirmation to both sides. With our propensity to just listen to that which unconditionally affirms our basic beliefs. It's not difficult to go into social media and filter out the things that are not to our like, or we leave them there so that we can be properly upset about the other. And that business model of giving affirmation unconditionally to both sides is again only rooted in corporate greed. When it gets too much for most of the people, okay, let us uh, make sure our business will go forth so that people don't flee our platform. At the same time, there are enough loopholes to still spout out whatever there should be. 
because it's all for profit. Greed is on the top and the division between anger and delusion is exploited and everybody's mind pulled into it. Joshua Roshi spoke about this Hemenjo, the two-dimensional flat-faced place. As soon as we have that duality, that polarization of self and other, what else could we expect? There is gain and there is loss. And self-affirmation always looks for gain at all they want. it wants its gain and whatever it costs. Strife is good business. And all of this plays out in a very carefully manicured self-image of who we are as individuals. In the same way, as a nation even, there is a self-image that is carefully manicured and at times disturbed by the reality of our humanity, by the reality of history, our individual doings map and magnify consciously or not to society. We live in a self-created tyranny of opinions. How many million opinions go through my mind every day? At times it is glorious. At times it is like looking at a sewer. What we have to learn is to let the opinion come and go and not to attach. When you study a little bit about yourself, you will find out that the opinions by themselves are like thoughts. They are fairly vanilla. But as soon as we start putting feeling to it and, and invest into the opinion, we become attached. The more we invest into it, the less flexible we are. Our self-image might be disturbed or scratched or scuffed. And it's all based on opinions. That is the first tyranny that we have to look at in ourselves according to that fourth noble political truth. We have to look at greed, anger, and delusion at the atomic level of society. We can do it. And when we do it, what we provide is a change, is a different way of manifesting ourselves, a different way of introducing a different sound, a different smell, a different feeling into this societal magnification of the individual manifestations. And how can we do it? When we think of others as being rotten, 
as being deluded extremists. Can we get ourselves in our own sitting, in our self-exploration to the point that we see that function of human nature and its ability to become deluded, to become attached to ideology, to be brainwashed and filled with propaganda. Can we see that in ourselves and learn through that relationship that we build with ourselves within this world experienced from the condition that you call yourself and open your heart to include everybody and offer a chance to make that relationship. The business of strife, the business of war, of selling weapons to both sides is very lucrative. And it's not just physical weapons that are made from metal and from enriched uranium ideas and ideologies, identification that is offered to those who suffer from the lack of having had the ability to come to terms with themselves are weapons of equal, if not greater power. We ourselves, do not want to be weapon stealers. We have no ideologies to spread, no teachings that should be seen as any of that. What we can do is offer relationship. If we follow the weapons, then the relationship would be adversarial, but that is not where we can connect. Shuko-san, who knows about psychology, therapy, psychoanalysis, and all of that, tells me that in the process of deprogramming, deprogramming brainwashed people, therapists set boundaries of where to connect or what not to connect about. It doesn't become about the content anymore, but about the relationship. Making connections. If you eat a meal with somebody, that's what happened in Palestine and Israel. You sit people down having meals and suddenly it becomes so much harder to hate each other. These are the connections that we have to be able to make. And these are the connections that we have to make with ourselves in Zazen, in our practice, where the boundaries set are, I don't even have to explain that, sitting periods, sit still, a schedule, do not speak, boundaries. Relationship is 
fostered and encouraged here without opinions, without words. This is the way how I see what we are called to do. And this is why I still can enjoy and acknowledge the beauty of the sunshine while at the same time the wheel of samsara is turning because I know that I will devote my life and my time, the relationships that go beyond that I am self, to eradicate that hey man Joe, to get away from the flat-faced place of polarization and to connect on a level that is not two-dimensional, not multi-dimensional, but trans-dimensional. Our hearts are what can make a difference in this chamber of society where whatever our hearts proclaim will grow and grow and grow and ultimately lead society even further into the realm of true equality of true manifestation of the heart that the Buddha, that all different religions ultimately are after. Don't despair. It is hard work. But the good news always is we can do it. I look forward to do it all of us together no self, no other. Thank you so much, Chigon Roshi, and each one of you. It is indeed very heart opening to sit together this way and hear each other and feel in the silence this relationship of which Chigan Roshi spoke and to feel how it extends. Throughout the whole universe. And Jinan, yes, let's keep going. Friday, we start session. If you have not yet signed up for Martin Luther King Jr. session on Zoom, please do. And we will now go to chanting of great vows for all. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.